0: And this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 38. Live from the studios in my basement and in (laughs) Rachel's house. How are you, Rachel?
1: I'm very well. I miss our friend Scott, but I'm well.
0: Yes, Scott is a, a casualty of the freezing cold in Austin, Texas. Indeed. Uh, not literally a casualty. He is still with us. <laughs> he just has no internet access or power.
1: Yeah, for more than 12 hours now. So, I mean, you know, these tend to go out, I think, six or eight weeks after the fact, but it's February 15th, and right now, something like 2 million people in Austin don't have power, and our our dean in residence, Dr. Wright, is one of them.
0: Yes um awesome well i'm excited um for some things coming in mapped uh before we do that if you're watching this live and you see me like with my tissue my eye is watering and it won't stop so just just chilling here crying um worried about scott and the world (laughs) um mapped we have some updates coming soon we talked a little bit about them last week right um the cool ability yeah. to invite friends uh and if you ref- we we call it give a month get a month yep. so you have a, a special code <laughs> in your profile as soon as we push it out live in a day or so uh you'll have a special code to give to your friends and classmates and and club members, and if they sign up, then uh, you get a month for free and they get an extra month as well. Um, and Lots of other stuff too.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm excited about is that um, we're gonna have all of the primary application essays in there. So um, we already had the personal statement and the activities, And I can't remember if we pushed out most meaningful or not, or if that's also in the sprint. So if you guys don't already have most meaningful, you will in the next day or two. And then all the other essays that don't really get talked about because they don't apply to everyone. But if you have a few of them applying to you can really add up. So um, TMDSAS has one about military service that they encourage you to use if you've served ever versus, um, CAS and ACOMAS ask you to talk about service if you were dishonorably discharged. Um, essays about institutional action, essays if you have a felony or misdemeanor. Um, ACOMAS this year has an essay about how you feel COVID has impacted you. So, you know, those are all things that if they apply to you, no reason not to get a jump, right? Why, why wait today when you can start now? So now that'll all be in maps so you can see the prompts and the character limits and start working.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have a bunch of questions to work through from before we went live. If you have questions, go ahead and comment. Remember, 400 character limit as we rock Thank and roll first question here, what is a good way to gain more information about the vision and missions of medical schools? Most of them are very vague and cliche to serve the community and be diverse, et cetera, but they do not provide examples of how they are doing these things. Yes, <laughs> that, that is the truth. Um, it's, I, I put together a video on this once uh, a while ago and it was basically, um, social media youtube um talk to current students like go on to reddit and student doctor network uh talk to current students see what they're doing um and really just google is your friend so google uh what schools are doing see if they have any uh specific missions or programs or anything that that kind of correlates to their mission and vision etc but it's very, very hard and it's very, very generic for a lot of things for a lot of schools.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I would say one other thing you can do is look at social media. Um, so in mapped we list links to all the socials they've got, right? So Twitter, YouTube, some of them have uh, Vimeo, you know, uh, Instagram. Um, I would check those out because that gives you a sense of the stuff that's happening live that they care enough to post about um but yeah i mean in the same way that we try to say don't have essays about i like science and want to help people because that would be every pre-med sometimes when you look at the mission students of med schools you're like well they all have a lot of the same things in common yeah
0: (laughs) yes they do (laughs) yes yeah, we we should definitely reach out to schools be like your mission and vision are cliche. Can you can you do better please? <laughs> be I
1: need I need you to stand out from the crowd.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> Why should I take my talents to your school?
0: <laughs> um all right, so next one here, advice on getting letters of rec. Um a third year at UCLA and the class sizes are huge. I'm hoping to get letters from my upper division science professors, but because of my major, each professor only teaches for three weeks and they have limited office hours due to the pandemic. So it's hard to meet with them one-on-one. So far, I only have a humanities professor and my lab PI as letter writers. That's, that's going to be the struggle for everyone right now, right, is pandemic professors uh, are going to be very limited in terms of the actual contact with students. And it's hard to build a relationship that, uh, that where a, a professor can write something very uh, profound about a student. If you, uh, again, look up the uh, AAMC letter writer guidelines about what letter writers are supposed to be writing about, it's hard to do that, especially for only three weeks and limited office hours. You got to do what you got to do, though. Uh, Again, I I talk about all the time setting expectations, right? So at the beginning of this three weeks, you reach out to one of your professors and say, hey, like, I need you. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's a specific subject that you are really interested in and you can reach out and say, I'm really interested in the subject and here's why. And oh, I see you have some research. How can I get involved and blah, 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 right? And try to go above and beyond in in these situations.
1: Yep, I agree
0: it's so hard right now I I do not envy any of you going through this right now
1: I don't really envy the professors there who are like I know this is part of my job but I want to help you but we barely met (laughs)
0: yeah exactly exactly Uh, Next question here. Thoughts on applying to MD schools this summer when I haven't taken biochem? I will be taking it in the fall. Are there any disadvantages besides having to self-study for the MCAT? I got a 500 on one of the practice tests so far and want to take it at the end of May. Will the schools not take my application into consideration if I haven't finished the prereqs at the time of the application? All right. So two questions here, Rich. I'll let you answer the MCAT side of it, but it looks like they're pretty aware of, of those challenges. From a medical school side of things, there's only one school that I kind of know about. I believe it's Georgetown or George Washington. I believe. Uh, look it up, verify that. That the school actually asks for your prereqs to be done prior to application. Almost every other school, if not every other school. It's prior to matriculation. So you apply with whatever missing prereqs. And as long as you finish those prereqs prior to when you're supposed to start medical school, you're completely fine. Now that the student did mention the MCAT and needing the self-study, uh, and that, that I'm glad they're aware of that. Rachel, what are your thoughts on the MCAT side of it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's much more to add given that they, it sounds like they've already made this plan. Um, I'll clarify for the audience. Biochem is now showing up in three of the four sections. Um, Not every exam is a little different. There are different sections or, you know, different forms on different days. So, you know, um, someone else was asking about physics the other day. And um, I think one of the recent exams had almost no physics. And one of the ones was like really physics heavy. So some of it is luck of the draw of what you get. But odds are pretty high you're going to get a lot of biochem. So, you know, a lot of pre-meds are really good at learning information out of books. So you may well be able to do it. Just be sure you're buckling down, down and planning for knowing outcome basics really well. Yeah. But 500 on a practice test, if you did that timed, not untimed, if you did that timed, that is, that's really good for it's February and you've got until May. You're yeah. in fine shape.
0: Yep. Good clarification there. All right. uh, Next one here. Any advice for applicants with disabilities who were denied accommodations on the MCAT slash financially unable to apply for them? Example, do you advise them to take the exam without accommodations anyway? How should students handle a less than desirable score due to this? And what are the best ways to inform schools of these circumstances?
1: You want me to take the MCAT part and you can take the informed schools part?
0: Yeah. You can, you can take a both if you want. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, first of all, I don't know if you saw, cause I'm short, but my hand was like on my heart. I was like, ouch, I'm sorry for you. Question asker. Um, yeah. Accommodations have been a little more flexible in recent years with the MCAT, but they're still off tight. And then to your point, it's, it's not just about getting the MCAT to agree. It's that it's a pretty long and rigorous and often expensive process. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you are 100% sure you're not going to be able to apply for them, then yeah, you're going to have to take the exam without accommodations. Um, if it's one of those things where you're not sure, but you have an idea of what accommodations you need based on, you know, what you've been granted, not just in high school, but also in college then one thing you could do is try taking the exam both ways, right? So take one practice test. I would use like third parties for these. Just, I know they're not perfect, but just to not waste double AMCs on this experiment, but I would take one third party standard timing and one third party, whatever timing you typically have been given in college, see if there's a huge difference. Um, but, so that might be one way to, if you're still on the fence, um, but if you know for sure you're not getting them, then, yeah, you just need to start practicing to time um, as soon as possible. I mean, most MCAT prep starts untimed and move towards, moves toward time. So it's common for people to, you know, just work on content and then work on some passages untimed and then work on timed passages, time sections, time exams. That's a common flow. But you should be doing all of that with standard timing if that's going to be how you take the official. Um, and then yeah, the last part, I don't know about the informing the schools thing, right? Cause there's there's not many ways you can play that, that it doesn't come off a little woe is me. And I mean, I already said my heart hurts for you, but there's a big difference between how I feel as a person and how I feel as a pre-med advisor. And as a pre-med advisor, you gotta be careful about the way that stuff gets presents, presented.
0: Yeah, cause at, at the end of the day, the school doesn't really care if you didn't get a good score because you think it was because of accommodations. They care that you didn't get a good score and they're worried about you performing well in medical school and boards, et cetera. So uh, they, they are looking out for their best interests, uh, i.e. only accepting students who they believe are going to do well in their school pass, meaning pass in four years um, and pass the boards first time. Uh, as well as in your best interest, they're not, they don't want to accept students who are going to rack up a huge amount of debt only to not be able to finish school. So the, okay. there's really nothing you can say to the medical school that will give them any sort of uh, peace of mind other than a good MCAT score, unfortunately. Yep.
1: Okay, that takes us through the questions that were asked in advance. So here
0: yes. you go. Does academic dismissal due to low GPA count as an institutional action? Yes, it does. Basically, if someone someone's GPA got so low they had to take classes a certain amount at a community college with a certain GPA to be reinstated into the university. How would you write about this on the medical lab? So yes, that, that would be consider, considered an institutional action. And you would just tell your truth. What, what happened? Why did you struggle? What did you learn from it? How did you move on? The basics of any sort of kind of I, I screwed up type essay is, is here's what happened. Here's what I did to fix it. Here's what I've learned and why it's not going to be a problem in the future. Yep. Ideally, this happened freshman year and you've had a lot of time in between that and when you're applying to medical school so that you have a good track record of, of improvement and stability since then.
1: Yeah. And uh, I don't know if the question asker asked this in response to our news, but you'll now have all the prompts for all those possible essays in mapped. I'm um, sorry, not today live, but when does the sprint push, Ryan? Tomorrow? I track. think
0: tomorrow, yeah.
1: So as of Tuesday, the 16th of February. Not,
0: not guaranteed, but yeah, ideally tomorrow. <laughs> soon,
1: soon you'll have all those essays right in mapped for you. It's going to be great. <laughs> all right, what's next?
0: how should I prepare myself if I'm a non-traditional student? I'm going back to being a pre-med in fall of 2021 after a long gap in studies. I ask this especially because we don't know whether classes will be virtual versus in person in the fall. Um, So there's two questions here. How do you prepare yourself for virtual versus in person? Is that the question or how do you prepare yourself for being a student again? period. I'm assuming it's how do I prepare myself to be a student again, period. And, and really the best thing that you can start doing now is go and take some virtual, just like courses on Udemy or Coursera or any of those classes where you, you are pretending to be a student and learning again and trying to figure out your best learning style and figure out, especially if it's in person or not in person, but virtual, where are you going to study and what does your study schedule look like and what other kind of restrictions around the house are there going to be? Do you have kids running around or, or pets or, or significant others or roommates or whatever um, who may disrupt your study habits? So I think those are the really the big things to think about. Agreed. (sighs) Rachel, I'll let you read this next one.
1: Okay. Is MAPT going to have any advising resources? I'm a non-trad student currently doing an unstructured post-bac. I'm hoping to get into a formal program, but until then, I don't have an advisor to look at my stats slash courses. I have a lot of transcripts and I'm fighting a low undergrad GPA. I could use some guidance, but I'm having trouble getting it from my current school. So um, yeah, uh, we do have advising resources. Um, I consider what we're doing right now an advising resource. I mean, this is definitely a place where questions can be asked. Um, it, it's hard to do a deep dive into an individual, but you know we can certainly get into some things here. And I think watching these sessions, whether you attend them live or on replay is often a useful source of guidance. Um, if you're looking for one-on-one, we do offer that. Currently, just by the way our system is set up, you can't get at the one-on-one scheduling through mapped. You have to actually back out of the mapped application and go to like the main map.com, not app.map.com. But you can um, you can purchase one-on-one sessions there. And we do have some feedback that we offer through maps. So if I don't know if the person asking is a newer user, but if you go to if you log into your mapped account and you go to that left sidebar, there's a tab called Feedback. There should be some information in there for you already. Pretty much everyone's got at least a couple things. And Ryan and I are working on going through and creating more and more rubrics to create more and more robust feedback. So that stuff isn't personally given, it's, it's given algorithmic me, but the, the written feedback that comes from that rubric and that algorithm is from us and, and also from Dr. Wright. So it's personalized feedback hope that helps
0: okay Um, what is considered an upward trend in terms of timeline x amount of semesters x amount of credits if that makes sense basically how long do i need a good upward trend so dr scott wright and myself have different kind of answers to this i typically say 25 hours dr wright says closer to 45 hours and so somewhere in there um, it's it's likely going to be upwards of two or three semesters of really good um, uh, amount of work amount of credits each semester and and that upward trend is as close to a 4.0 as possible as possible obviously depending on um, what your earlier struggles are but that is it it's usually credit wise what you're looking at
1: yep yeah, I think credits matters because I've definitely talked to some students who are getting 4.0 because they've been taking a class at a time, which is still great. I mean, you're getting those A's, but it doesn't demonstrate the rigor, right? Uh, I think the phrase Scott likes to use is sustained academic rigor. They want to see credits upon credits of improved grades.
0: Yeah. It wasn't just a fluke. right. Okay. Does the military question on applications apply to service in foreign countries? I know on TMDSAS, the section specifies U.S. only. I'm a dual citizen who served for a year abroad and wondered how or if to enter it on applications. That's a good question. I don't know.
1: I know. I just did a roundup on all these essays. And I don't know. I'm actually trying to check my notes really quickly right now. It looks to me like AMCAS does not specify U.S. or foreign, but please double check me. Um, your best place to look at this is to go to um, the handbook for AMCAS um, and just keyword search military.
0: Yep. Yeah, I'm looking. The The specific question on AMCAS is, um, it does specifically say U.S. military discharge. Oh, it does. Okay. Yep. At least that's Great. how it prints out on the application. Okay. So, yeah, dig in, dig into the instruction manuals, but it looks like AMCAS and TMDSAS are both US-specific. I wouldn't be surprised if comas is the
1: Yeah, same. the big distinction between those two that I'm aware of is that AMCAS says, was your discharge... Um, honorable or not and if you have a dishonorable discharge they want explanation where tmdsas is saying if you think your military service helped prepare you to for a career in medicine you can talk about it here so it's a it's kind of a different angle
0: yeah and i'm looking at um the acomas application here um, I can't tell from the application if it's u.s or not It just says military status. Yeah. Okay okay So
1: the short answer is when in doubt check the handbook friends. Check the handbook. <sighs> okay.
0: And for all of you joining late I, I mentioned at the beginning my my eye will not stop watering so I uh...
1: I made Ryan cry earlier and he's just trying to carry on. I'm such a meanie. Okay, so since Ryan's dabbing, I'm going to put myself on solo so he can have a good dab in private, and I'll read this one. Um, To add to the previous question, so students who receive additional time in college are eligible to receive additional time on the MCAT. If so, are schools notified? Ah. Uh, I understand why you would assume that from what I said, but that is not what I meant to say. (laughs) So if you are going to get additional time on the MCAT, you have to apply. Schools don't do any notifying. It's all about you to do your own advocating. And what I was getting at is from my years in test prep, I know that it's um, historically been much harder. Uh, It's, I wouldn't say harder, it's less common to receive accommodations for the MCAT and for any graduate level entrance exam. So MCAT, LSAT, GMAT, what have you, it's been much less common to get that than for SAT or ACT. And in the few cases I'm aware of an MCAT tester getting accommodations, it's because they have had a lifetime history of accommodations in high school and college. Now I know, um, especially for, for whatever reason, um, for for women and non-binary people, we're experiencing more and more of um, learning disabilities being diagnosed later in life. So if you're listening to this and you're going, "Great, I just found out three years ago," don't don't give up. <laughs> I'm just saying that a lot of the people I know that have gotten the timing have had both high school and college precedent. Um, if you're not getting any kind of accommodation in your current learning. Um, it doesn't mean you have no case to present to the MCAT, but I think it does make your case a lot harder to present because my understanding, and I, I'm not gonna speak for them, I'm just trying to help you kind of interpret, um, I think what the WMC is looking for is a history of evidence that shows that you are unable to perform at at least an average level without accommodations. Hope that helps clarify. Okay. Oh, we're getting so many Mcat questions today. Ryan's still I'm going to let Ryan do his thing in the background they, here.
0: They they knew they knew that you were going to be the the star of the show. So they're like, let's let's Mcat it up. Pile it on, Rachel. <laughs>
1: I also think there's just something in the ether in mid-February. Like everywhere I look on social media, everyone's like, "I'm May, I'm cutting May." Yeah. <laughs>
0: And just, just a warning, and registration opens in two days for those of you on the East Coast who want to test on the East Coast.
1: Yeah, I looked. It's it's everybody in the Eastern time zone but poor old Indiana because people get confused, I guess, about whether or not Indiana is uh, Eastern or s- Central.
0: Is that is that so the, the breakdown? It's Yeah, mostly- so if you look
1: on a map, it's roughly Ohio to the Atlantic is Wednesday at noon. Okay. And then they did say that it'll be down completely Thursday early morning. And then Thursday at noon starts like everywhere west of that.
0: Is it Thursday at noon starts west of that and those on the East Coast? Or are they going to block the people on the East Coast?
1: I don't know. But I think that's probably part of why they have the 9am to noon block to make sure it's not like... A run on east coasters trying to finish up like it seems like they're trying to clear the runway
0: oh double amc
1: yeah it's still an improvement than it was last yeah. year and even earlier this year oh no we're in 2021 now <laughs> uh last year so I'll, I'll take it it's a slight improvement <laughs> Okay, another question about MCAT. Would taking the MCAT on May 15th, scores come back June 15th compared to May 1st put me at any disadvantage if I'm applying this upcoming cycle? No, not really. Many people are telling me I need to submit the app right when it opens, but I want to make sure my score is good. I want those extra two weeks to study. Yeah, if those two weeks make a huge difference to you, you know, like if you're lucky enough to go to one of those schools where you have finals like in late April, um, so that you'll actually have two weeks of free and clear time, I don't think that that's the end of the world. Um, it's a good idea to apply in early June, um, but I wouldn't quibble that much over two weeks.
0: Yeah, the the, the extra trick to that is you could submit June first if you could, um, and then just but only to one school, and then add the other schools as needed. Um, there is obviously the the cost of the. Uh application submission in that one school, but you might get a, a, a jump start. But two weeks in, in the grand scheme of things isn't gonna do anything to you. Yeah. And then just um while I mentioned that kind of delay in the application, TMDSAS, I, I don't know if we mentioned it last last week. We we talked about Baylor being added to TMDSAS, but one of the other big changes is TMDS. TMDSAS is now going to have a delay between when it opens and when you could submit, similar mm-hmm. to AMCAS. So mm-hmm. ACOMIS will be the only one, as as far as we know, where it opens and you can submit within two or three days. But ACOMIS has historically also delayed submission until mid-June, so the the first wave of of um, schools being submitted the application. Uh,
1: I also noticed when reading the fine print on ACOMIS the other day, that um, you can technically submit in early May, but only if you have all of your spring 2020 grades. So some of it's just going to depend on the academic calendar of your school. I mean, people who go to University Maryland College Park don't get their grades until like Memorial Day. Um, yeah. Or if you're a quarter school, you know, in California, I guess there's still some quarter schools left there. So that, that early May for a Comus is like with an asterisk. Yeah. Yeah, early is good, but the best possible application is better. <laughs> okay, let's see.
0: There was a the follow-up. Did we answer this one already? Oh, this follow-up. No, I did. So the, the 45 hours um is, is typically considered science classes. You want those hard sciences to um, to really prove that upward trend.
1: Good point. Yeah it matters right cuz some of the masters programs that are really interesting i think aren't aren't relevant you know i saw someone talk to someone the other day who had a 4.0 in her mph which is amazing education those courses don't count as science
0: yeah it doesn't it doesn't at the end of the day um give the medical schools any sense of uh i don't know i, I can't of the right word it doesn't it doesn't put them at ease that you're gonna do well in, in medical school just because you've got a 4.0 in your MPH.
1: Yep. Yeah, the work's just not similar enough. Um, we had another follow up that I missed. I can't tell from the context of the question what it's following up on.
0: We oh wait. I'm
1: gonna see if I can look and tell from uh, Facebook.
0: Oh yeah. I don't know. Okay. We'll move. When in
1: doubt, you should disclose things. If they ask you a direct question, you got to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's do the one about biochem pass fail.
0: All right. I'll let you read that one.
1: Does taking biochem as a pass fail course raise red flags? I took it as PF because I wasn't sure how well I'd do with it being online and working full time. And I ended up receiving an A but couldn't change the PF to a letter grade. Oh, that's a bummer. Um does it raise red flags maybe <laughs> so there's a lot of if thens going on right now and we are um so you guys know in the process of actually collecting this data from med schools and we hope to add it to mapped um sometime this spring um some schools don't want to see any pass fail courses for anything science some say only for prereqs biochem is often listed as a prereq Um, uh, some schools say pass fail is okay, but only for spring 2020 when COVID first occurred. And some schools are saying pass fail is okay during the duration of COVID. There's, there's a lot of variation. So is it a red flag? Is there a chance that there are going to be schools who say that doesn't count? Yeah, there's a chance.
0: Unfortunately, yeah, and as we've talked about a bunch, is it really depends on what the rest of your application looks like. Or it, does it look like you took it past fail because you really struggle in the, the sciences and you didn't want to do poorly in that? Or do you have really good grades and you took it pass fail just that one time and, and it happened to, to, to be passed, but it's not going to look bad in the kind of big picture of everything going on.
1: Yeah, if lots of rigorous upper division courses, both before and after RAs.
0: Yep. That helps. Exactly. All right. In terms of clinical experience, is it important to have clinical experience in various settings? I currently volunteer at a clinic I love, but should I focus my hours solely there or consider volunteering elsewhere too? This is a very popular question. And I don't know where the kind of myth around variation comes from.
1: Well, us, sometimes.
0: (laughs) Where? (laughs) When? When does it come from? Uh,
1: We had an Am I Ready student last spring who had like 800 hours in ophthalmology and nothing else. And we were a little worried that that was super specific.
0: Yeah, I I don't care as much about that stuff. Because I I look at it from the standpoint of of access, right? Yeah. And, and it's it's a privilege to be able to have access to a lot of different things and go to different places. But if you're in at one place and that's where you're at, milk it. <laughs> you got it. So I don't know. I'm I'm less concerned about that kind of stuff. Now I think ultimately the the bigger question comes down to is that showing that you want to be an ophthalmologist versus you want to go to medical school to learn how to be a doctor. That's, that's probably a bigger concern than just one experience. So in general, if you were, um, I don't know, doing medical assistant stuff, uh, and it's at, at a family practice office, right? Great. Do that for as long as you want. That's a great experience. Right. It's it's not like we're going to tell a nurse who is a a nurse in the emergency department that she should go get other clinical experience because that's too much experience in the emergency department. Right. I'm not worried about it. Okay. Hi, Rachel and Dr. Gray. Hope you're staying warm trying uh can we condense research to one activity i have other things i want to highlight aside from research but i have an extensive history in several different labs yes you can you can do it ever you want you can.
1: yeah i mean if you want to condense it on amcast because you only got 15 spots but you want to spread it out on the other apps where they give you more spots to do activities you got you got a couple different ways you can slice that
0: yeah. And so typically what you do is for the contact person, the contact like experience description, you just put one one contact person, maybe the person you know the best. And um, and then you can you can list the experiences. That's one of the ones where I would recommend just kind of bullet pointing, listing the different experiences you've had.
1: Another research question. Should I count hours spent working on a manuscript with my hours spent doing research on that project?
0: Sure. (laughs) There's, there's no science behind the hours. Um, If the, the manuscript is part of working on your research, submitting a paper, sure you can do that. There, there's no, there's no way to check it at the end of the day. So just be honest enough.
1: <laughs> I think this is a follow-up from our last but one lab question asker.
0: Is it appropriate to just mention one out of the three labs so as to tell a good story rather than just list the responsibilities? Um, I would try to make it known that there were other ones. So you, you potentially could have one sentence that mentions... Um, Your hours were part of working in three different labs and then tell a story on one. But at the end of the day, I I don't know how good of a story can come out of research. And so you may just want to list it.
1: So we have several kind comments worried about the way you're feeling.
0: I'm fine. I just, for some reason, I I don't have allergies, although I don't know, maybe today they want to happen. So
1: Yeah, I think you might today. (laughs)
0: <laughs> my, my, my eye is just watering and and typically what happens my eye waters and then my nose runs because the your, your little duck there and then my eye waters because my nose is running and then it's just a cycle that i can't stop.
1: i mean for all you guys know he's like this every week it's just that i'm like adeptly hiding him when dr Wright is talking but this <laughs> week it's just me and him he's not actually like this every week <laughs> yeah okay one more question that we've got
0: live here how do I determine the number of schools I should apply to? I have no location preference and would be okay moving anywhere. Is 40 too much. Yeah, so my general rule of thumb is no more than 25. That's a lot of schools. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of essays. Um, I know plenty of students who apply to 40 and more. Um, so at the end of the day, it really comes down to budget, um, How much? how much money you have to spend on applications and how much, Time you're willing to spend writing secondary essays?
1: Yeah. And I mean, sometimes I forget like what's commonly known and what's not. But so for anyone who needs a reminder or is new to this, you're going to have probably on average four essays of, let's say, 400 characters each. That'll actually be some short, some long, we'll say on average. So if you're going to have four poor school and you're going to apply to 40 schools, in addition to your you know, roughly a dozen um, primary application essays when you include, um, you know, activities and meaningful and everything. Now you're talking about doing another 160 essays that are all going to be due basically in the same five-day period when you start hearing back from schools for secondaries. Um, That's a lot, a lot, a lot of pre-writing. Like, um, so... A lot, a lot, a lot. A lot, a lot, yeah. <laughs> and not lot. that I think that what the crowd is doing makes it the right thing, but to give some context, I think the average number applied through Amcas in the last year or two was fourteen. It's and I think, now. oh, I thought it was seventeen, including a Comas.
0: No, it's it's seventeen now. It's been seventeen the last couple of years through Amcas. Seventeen just
1: Amcas, okay.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's it's nine for a Comas.
1: Nine for a Comas. Okay. Yeah. Well, 25 is still fewer than 40. <laughs> All right.
0: I just wanted to share this real quick. So this is my um, my application cost estimator on Medical School HQ. Uh, and we'll add something similar to MAP at some point, but just a, a quick little slider to say, okay, I'm going to apply to 40 schools. And it does um, just some basic... some basic math you can pick kind of where you're from and it'll do um kind of estimated flights from that airport um so you can see seventeen hundred dollars just for the primary application uh uh, the average of seventy five dollars per secondary for those 40 schools looking at three grand lodging and airfare which ideally go away um because of covid and virtual interviews we'll see what that looks like in the future um deposit mcat prep msar transcripts etc so looking at at a lot of money um to apply to medical school
1: yes what's what's the url for that
0: app expenses.com
1: i was wanting it to be applications all right, we'll put that in the doobly-doo when it goes live. The what? The doobly-doo.
0: <laughs> what the heck a doobly-doo?
1: Well, I thought you were a Hank and John Green fan. Okay, so I, that just means I'm <laughs> old or nerdy or whatever. My bad, guys. Um, <laughs> what I'm talking about is when this goes on YouTube, um, there's that little information description box that's like just below the video. Yes. And there's usually time stamps for the questions and stuff in there. We'll also put it there. And then I'm going to put it here on the bottom of the screen for a moment, too.
0: The doobly-doo.
1: The, yeah, the description box is more commonly and lovingly known as the doobly-doo.
0: Yeah, I don't know about that.
1: It's like an old YouTuber thing. Like if you were no. on YouTube back in 2007 when, you know, our med students were babies.
0: No Let's talk uh, about doula thing- work. Yeah, is being a doula considered, speaking of babies, is, is being a doula considered good clinical experience? I support patients before, during, and after labor by helping them create their birth plan, move into pain-relieving positions during labor, and support them and their partner emotionally. Sounds like amazing clinical experience. Definitely.
1: It's such important work, so thank you for doing it.
0: Doing the doula work. All right. The doobly-doo. <laughs> I'm trying to develop a school list, but I am limited to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Is it feasible to commute one and a half hours for med school, say to Oklahoma City from North Texas? No, it's not. It's not feasible at all, unfortunately.
1: Um, yeah. What I would say about this, I agree. And if you don't want to hear it from Ryan and her I, or you want some more opinions talk to people in med school and I almost guarantee I mean I'll defer to what they say but I almost guarantee you that they're going to say things like I live 25 minutes away and it was killing me so I had to move to be 7 minutes away.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, and I'll put an asterisk on this, right? Cuz depending on the school a, again with COVID, we we don't know what the future is going to look like of of school if if you go to a school where Courses the the classes aren't mandatory to go to, then maybe you only got to go to school once a week and that's not too shabby. Um, I would tell you probably the first kind of semester of classes is probably not doable because students are typically taking anatomy first semester and you're in the anatomy lab all the time, uh, and that would be pretty miserable. So, but it's not yeah. to say you can't you can't rent a couch for for $20 a night or something from a classmate and and stay on campus for three nights and then go home for four. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are some potential ways to work around that, but then you have to look at situations like this week where the roads are frozen everywhere. And and do you really want to worry about traveling back and forth? So probably not the best idea. Sorry, dude doobly dude. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it as much as I can. I'm
1: glad you are. It's a great term.
0: <laughs> is scribing considered good clinical experience? Yes, it is. How does it look to medical schools leaving a full-time quote career job for a full-time scribing job? It doesn't look like anything. It looks like you went and you scribed. So I, I like the first question, right? Yes, it's, it's clinical experience, good clinical experience. Uh, don't worry about how it looks in medical schools because it'll look one way to one medical school and another way to another medical school. At the end of the day, the question is, is that what you want to do? Um, don't do it because you think it's going to help your medical school applications. Obviously, you need um, good clinical experience to to be able to write about and reflect on to talk about why you want to be a physician, but maybe you can continue working full-time in your quote unquote career job and work part-time as a scribe on the weekends. So there, Mm -hmm. there are lots of ways to skin that cat, but don't, don't leave a great full-time job just to go make barely minimum wage or whatever it is to work as a scribe because you think that's what you have to do.
1: Yep. Does this count as clinical or research experience? I'm a research coordinator and I spend a lot of time interviewing patients to see if they meet criteria for binge eating disorder and bulimia nervosa. This study is not a treatment study. Hmm. That sounds to me more like research than clinical, right? I mean, you are asking really sensitive questions and I think that that might have some good clinical training, but you're not you're not treating them. You're just asking questions, right? It's, I mean, it seems like it's kind of like taking a patient history, but I don't know. How would probably
0: consider this clinical. They're, they're interacting with the patient at the the sensitive questions, very similar to a kind of a medical assistant checking a patient in and doing all that.
1: Okay.
0: It's more. Well, you got
1: clinical. one vote each way, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's clinical research. Um. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, to dig in a little bit more to see what they're doing. Yeah. Uh,
1: that takes, oh, no, there we go. There's always that one last popcorn pop. <laughs> Suggestions on intensive MCAT prep program with the option for one-on-one help meetings if needed. I'm planning to take a gap year and want to enroll in some type of program at that time to best prepare. I mean, yes, I think that a lot of people benefit from an intensive prep program, Um here's what's kind of interesting as someone who's literally been doing MCAT test prep for 19 of the last 20 years. I don't think everyone needs an intensive prep program. Um, Self-study is obviously really appealing from a financial standpoint, but I would say the people who are best candidates for it have to be hyper-disciplined, which frankly, I don't worry about that much because I think pre-meds in general are a pretty disciplined group of people. Um, You also have to be really self-aware. You have to be able to keep yourself going when you're down and be able to really, really analyze your work. One of the biggest mistakes that um, self-studiers do make when they do MCAT prep is just to take tests over and over again without ever pausing to analyze. And it's that detailed analysis of the exams and of the work you're doing that really takes you far. So, if you if you think that you're going to need someone to kind of walk you through that, you need a teacher to um, to show you things. Sometimes you need someone to keep you pepped up. You need just need someone to force you to really do the analysis. Then then yeah, I think um, you know it really there's so many MCAT prep programs out there. I would shop them all. We do we do work very closely with Brufin and we we like them a lot. So I, I think they're great. I think their exams are well reputed as. Um, really the best after the AAMC, but it's mostly just about finding one that's right for your schedule and your life. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to do a course and tutoring, most people do one or the other. Um, A lot of the courses now have extra help. Like I think Blueprint already has office hours and now I think they're also offering a live online. That's like, so there's already like a self-paced course, plus you can show up to office hours anytime. And now there's the live online component. So there's some structured classes. Um, so yep. there's there's lots out there. And that's one great thing about MCAT prep is the brick and mortar model is, I mean, it's still out there if that really appeals to you. But you, know, you don't have to worry about whether you can find a great course without ever leaving your house.
0: Yes, that is true.
1: OK. Someone, I oh, hope you've got our friend who was asking about disorders is back.
0: Yeah, so I'm also getting a list of their current medications, asking about current medical conditions. I relay these back to the study psychologist and physician.
1: Yeah, yeah. the more you say that, I'm sold. It's clinical because that's so sensitive. So to be working through all that. Yep. Okay, uh, we probably got time for one more. I'm currently an engineer, just beginning my pre-med journey. Welcome. I have little volunteer experience, but plan on working on this in the next two years prior to to applying to med school. Good. Med schools look down on little volunteering during undergrad years. Uh, So I guess I want to understand the context of little volunteering. It's really important that you get clinical experience in the next two years. And clinical experience can be volunteer or paid. if you're talking about doing volunteering outside of clinical like just service and commitment to a community that is excellent and that also has value um, and there are some schools that in particular are looking to see that kind of passion and commitment to the community um, but I wouldn't do volunteering just because you think it looks good right like there's something you're really passionate about you know you're fluent in Spanish and you want to you know, help people who need their GED, who don't speak English that well, or um, I talked to someone last week who did that, and I was, I was so impressed. But um, if there's something like that that really speaks to you, you should do it. Um, but I, I wouldn't do it just to check a box. Whereas the clinical is required not as a box checking, but as a way for you to confirm your desire to go to med school. It's a way to get that firsthand experience of what working with patients is like.
0: yes i agree concur all right
1: okay friends i think that wraps us up for episode 38
0: rock and roll we'll be back next week. dr scott
1: right we missed you
0: (laughs) bigger and better than ever
1: yeah we'll be back with him next week
0: that's that's the plan and my my eye will be normal hopefully (laughs) yeah that's the plan
1: Scott, scott will have heat and ryan won't be crying
0: and I won't, I won't be crying because Scott will have heat. Yes. <laughs> All right. Bye awesome. everyone. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast, track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on ask the Dean.